Um, we are going to continue walking through this d- series of Love Defined. And I want to let you know we're going to take our time going through this. And I hope that's okay with you because, um, you know, you may think, well, Eric, this is that, like we've all read this chapter. We kind of know what it says. Do we have to really spend a whole lot of time just camping out in it? Um, yeah, we do. Uh, we're going to spend some time swimming around in it. Uh, because what we learn today is going to be the reason why we are going to take our time. There's a reason that we need to kind of settle in it and make sure that we take in as much as we can. And that's the title for today's message. The reason we need to swim around is it, in it is because there is nothing else that matters more than love. So... We're going we're gonna to jump into verse 1 of chapter 13 today, and verses 1, 2, and 3. But before we do that, I want to I spend just a minute giving you some context. We know that 1 Corinthians 13 is um, one of the most beautifully poetic passages of, of Paul's writing in this chapter, or in this book, in this letter, especially even, even in all of his writings. This is probably one of the most poetic, it's almost song-like in nature. It it paints a beautiful picture of what love is and what love means. But I want us to get it in the context because too often, um, especially passages of Scripture like this, people will just pull out of the Bible and read them and say, oh, this is what it means, this is what he's talking about. But but we have to know the context. We have to know what came before it, what comes after it, and what's the reasons for that. And chapter 13 is sandwiched. Right between, obviously, chapter 12 and chapter 14. And if you read, go back and read chapter 12 and read ahead to chapter 14, you'll find that Paul is addressing the church concerning spiritual gifts and spiritual giftedness. And in chapter 12, he sort of explains the big picture of how God has gifted each believer with spiritual gifts. And the purpose of those gifts is for those to operate within the ministry of the church for everyone's benefit. And then in chapter 14, he gives some specific instructions about what, what those gifts are and how those gifts should be um, used, how, how they are to be exercised in the right way. And the thing about the church at Corinth is that they had all of the gifts manifest in their church. They, there were people there, they had representation of all the gifts and they had everything they needed to accomplish the ministry God had given them. But um, they had some issues. They were pursuing and only going after the gifts that we would maybe call the showy gifts. The, the public gifts. The ones that tend to put people in a spotlight sometimes. And... Those gifts were being elevated to the point where everyone was seeking after those because they were becoming selfish. They wanted to go after the ones that were were public gifts for selfish reasons. And the other gifts that are just as important in the operation of the ministry were, were being neglected. And, and those weren't being honored and weren't being pursued the way the other gifts were. And, and Paul is trying to give instruction about that. 
And so right in the middle, between chapter 12 and chapter 14, we find this chapter, chapter 13. And Paul almost pauses in his instruction about the gifts so that he can make sure that the operation of everything that the church does within the realm of using their spiritual gifts falls into the right attitude and the right atmosphere. So I want you to remember this. Agape must be the attitude behind and the atmosphere around everything we do. Everything we do. Everything meaning nothing left out. Everything. The attitude and the atmosphere. The Corinthians had gotten it out of order. Do you know of a, maybe a business or a restaurant that you, you value the quality of the product that they have, but you, you don't patronize that business because of the attitude and atmosphere that you find when you go in? And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Think of a restaurant. First thing you notice when you go into a restaurant is what? Yeah, like the, you, you notice the aesthetics of, of the room or, or the, the building when you go in. You, the atmosphere is the first thing you notice when you go into a restaurant. You're going to pay attention to how, whether it's clean or dirty, right? Um, whether the temperature is, is it too hot, is it too cold? The decor, the furniture, all of those things. That's your first impression of, a, of a, any eating establishment when you go in. And then before you get to the food, you've not only encountered the atmosphere, but then um, the attitude of the one serving you, right? The attitude of the service, how they address you, what level of professionalism they have, what kind of communication skills do they have, and the attention that they give you as they serve you. Don't let my tea glass get empty, right? Like, don't make me have to pick my glass up and jingle the ice around and be like, oh, hello, I'm out of something to drink, I need something. Like, and, and, that's, and that makes a difference. I mean, what is one of the reasons Chick-fil-A is so successful? It's not just because their food's good. And I talk to some people who don't even, like, their food's not even the best part. It's the attitude and the atmosphere that you encounter when you go in, Right? So if those two things aren't satisfactory, if those two things don't leave you with a good experience, it doesn't really matter how good the food is because you probably won't be back. Great food served in a sloppy, dirty place by inconsiderate, distracted, rude servers won't really appeal to anybody. Am I right? You tracking with me so far? Okay. Okay. The ministry, the things that we do as a church, in some ways, is our product. It's our food that we serve. But the atmosphere in which we serve it and the attitude with which we serve people and each other matters. And it can be a barrier that keeps people from experiencing 
the truth that we are trying to offer. So let's jump into chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Paul is going to kind of set the stage and help us figure out exactly where does love fit in, in the ministry of the church. Verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul is using a literary technique called hyperbole. You guys know what hyperbole is? Some of you do, some of you may not because you, you forgot it because you hadn't been in school in a while. Hyperbole is a greatly exaggerated statement that's meant to be, that's not meant to be taken literally, but it's to make a point. Like when our kids come home and tell us they have a ton of homework, that's hyperbole because you take all their homework, put it on a scale, it doesn't literally weigh a ton. It's, it's meant to, it's exaggerated to try to get the point across. Um, like when our kids make us angry and we say, I'm going to kill you when I get you home. That is hyperbole. You're not literally going to kill them when they get in the house. But it's to get your point across of how angry you are. Paul is using that literary device in these first three verses of this chapter. He's comparing love to these spiritual gifts that the church is, is focused on. And, and, and in some cases kind of arguing about like which one is better than the other. And so in this first verse, he's comparing it to eloquent speaking or the gift of tongues. And the spiritual gift of tongues was the capacity to, to speak in various languages, to speak in, in, in driven and gifted by the Holy Spirit, to be able to speak in different languages. And it was one of those gifts that was very public, and so um, it became one that was selfishly desired by people in the church. So Paul makes his first point by basically saying what, what verse 1 says, If I had the ability to speak in the languages of every man and had the eloquence and power of the speech of even the angels in heaven, and I don't have agape, it's pure noise. Kind of like this. You didn't enjoy that? Paul says, our words without love sounds like that. I saw a few people, not many of you, because some of y'all probably expected that. But some of you that didn't expect it, I, I saw a few heads go like this out of their seat. And I saw a few of you kind of close your eyes and wince. It wasn't pleasant. It kind of made your ears hurt. I wanted it to make your ears hurt on purpose just a little bit. 
our words without love are empty. And, and the struggle that we face today as the church is over the years there have been way too many Christians who have told the truth but with an attitude of self-righteous judgment and arrogance and that is pure noise to the world. It hurts the ears of the world and it drives people away. I hear from time to time people who will excuse their arrogance and their ugliness and their rudeness by saying, I was just telling the truth. And somehow we think that's okay. That gives us a pass. Yes, we should be telling the truth. Absolutely. But Paul says there is a way to tell the truth where it might actually get heard. Our intellect, our spiritual speech, all of the things that, when whatever eloquence that we have is gibberish, Paul says, without love. He comp- it could be compared to pagans who have chants and rituals that worship fake gods who aren't real. Our speech, no matter how truthful it is, without love is no better than pagan gibberish. It's a waste. And I think it's important to note that sometimes the greatest love that we show to people is when we don't say anything. Coming up in ministry, there were situations when I was real young that I felt like I would go into a situation and there would be a crisis some, some tragedy that's happened and I would go and, and try to minister and, and I would think I've got to say something like what do I say what do I tell them what do I um, you know they're going to be expecting me to give them some kind of spiritual truth or insight and I had some really wise pastors who taught me over the years and said no sometimes all you have to do is go and be there you don't have to say anything just be there. Just love them. So he says our words are a waste without love. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am what? Nothing. In verse 2, he highlights three more spiritual gifts. Prophecy, knowledge, and faith. And he talks about all three of these in the previous chapter, chapter 12. And again, these three are also gifts that could foster pride and selfishness in people if they're operating in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Prophecy, the gift of the prophet, is that gift to be able to discern truth from lies and be able to proclaim the truth in a way that brings understanding and conviction. The prophet is the person who can go to someone, maybe who is living in sin, and say, hey, look, this is not what God wants for you. You're, 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 you're in a bad place. Um, the, the, the gift of the prophet was to go and speak the word of the Lord to the people. But prophets who lack love become spiritual bullies. 
They become spiritual bullies. I want you to look at Romans chapter 9. We think of Paul as an example. Paul was sent out as a prophet to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles, but especially to the Jews also to, to proclaim the gospel to them so that they would believe. Listen to, to Paul's heart in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my race. Now I want you to understand exactly what Paul is saying. You may read that and go, wow, is he saying what I think he's saying? And the answer is probably yes. Paul had such a deep love, a deep agape love for the Jews, even though he knew it was not possible, his love was so deep that he would be willing to choose hell for himself if it meant salvation for his people. And let me just ask you, when's the last time you loved somebody so much that you would be willing to go to hell just so they can go to heaven. Like that's agape. That's what Paul's saying there. And so when Paul went and he spoke as a prophet to the people, he was not doing it with an attitude of, of arrogance or pride. He had such a deep heart for the Jews to come to Christ that he was willing to give up his place in eternity if he could so that they could be saved. Then Paul speaks of knowledge. And he says, if I hold all knowledge, all knowledge, meaning everything, which means both earthly knowledge and heavenly knowledge. So if we had knowledge of all things earthly and we had knowledge of all things eternal, then who would that make us like? God. God is the only one who has all knowledge of all things. And so Paul, again, in this hyperbole, he says, if I were able to have all of the knowledge even of God himself, I knew literally everything, but didn't have Agape, it would be for nothing. wouldn't matter. And then he talks about faith. And he's not talking about saving faith here. The word here is expressing that confidence, that expectancy that we have in the character of God, in the promises and the nature of God. And he says that even faith without love does no good. And you may say, well, how, how is that, Eric? Well, faith in and of itself doesn't always turn out to be a good thing. Think about Jonah for a moment. If you know the story of Jonah, Nineveh was a city that was overcome by sin. God send, tells Jonah to go and be the prophet to them, to tell them the truth. 
so that they could repent. Jonah had such faith that if he did go to Nineveh and he did preach the truth to them, that they would probably repent and he knew that if they repented that God would save them and deliver them and show them mercy. And it was Jonah's faith in God's ability and nature to do that that caused him to go the other direction because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved because he hated them. Jonah was not a man lacking faith. It was actually his faith that drove him to disobey. What he was missing was love. He didn't have a love for the people. So faith without love, Paul says, is useless as well. So in verse 2, Paul says, if, if, if I could be the boldest prophet with limitless knowledge of everything in the universe, and if I had faith that I could literally speak to a mountain and make it move, but I don't have agape, I'm nothing. Nothing as in nothing. Like zero. When we say nothing, when Paul says nothing, he doesn't mean a little less than what we should be. He means literally nothing. No good. And then look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, your Bible may say to the flames, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is something that's really important to understand as well. Agape love is self-sacrificing. But self-sacrifice is not always love. Because there is such a thing as selfish selflessness. I have to be careful, that's a tongue twister. Selfish selflessness and you say well what is that how, how is that the case we have to be careful that the things that we sacrifice don't become sacrifices for our own good and our own well-being you say well what are examples of that sometimes people live sacrificially out of legalistic fear of well what is what is God going to think? Am I going to follow all the rules right? What are other people going to think about me if I don't do this? And sometimes it's, it's that fear of legalism that pushes us to, to be sacrificial. And that's our motivation. It's, it's fear. It's not love. Sometimes it's because we want praise and blessing from other people that we do things sacrificially. And again, I, 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 I don't ever want us to be these kind of people, but I see them all the time. People who do things, acts of service, and they sacrifice for other people. And then they're the first ones to want to tell everybody about it, right? Or you read on Facebook, and I read posts on Facebook sometimes that frustrate me so much. Somebody will get on, and they'll talk about something nice they've done for somebody, and... 
I've done this and I've done this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. But then they feel the need to mention, but I'm not telling everybody this all over the internet for my own glory. Are you sure? Because I think Jesus has a, a little different perspective about that. In chapter 6 of Matthew, in verses 2 through 4, this is what Jesus says about giving to the needy or sacrificing for others. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Basically saying, whatever praise they get from people is all they're going to get. Because they're not going to get it from me. But look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus says when you sacrifice for somebody, when you give to somebody else, you don't have to make a big deal of it. If all you want is the praise of people, then go ahead and make a big deal about it because the praise of people is all you'll get. But he said what's, what's better is to do it and do it in secret. Keep it, keep it to yourself. Keep it between you. Keep it between the people you're helping. And then in eternity, that's the kind of sacrifice that your father will notice. You say, well, why does Jesus want us to do that in secret? Shouldn't we... Shouldn't we tell people? Um, is it okay? I mean, yes, I'm not saying don't ever tell anything. Like, like there was an article in the paper this week, this past week about, about our church doing our food pantry and clothes closet ministry. Like, that's a good thing. But if we boast in that and we become arrogant in that or we accomplish and do those things just so that we get that kind of recognition, that's what Paul says is worthless. Jesus tells us this because he wants us to guard our hearts from turning our benevolence into something that serves our, us more than it serves God, more than it serves other people. It guards our motive. And then even in that last verse, he goes to the greatest form of self-sacrifice, which is your very life. He says, if I were to give my life to the flames, he's talking about martyrdom. If I were willing to give up my life for the faith, but I don't have love, it's for nothing. Even then, Paul says that our motive for even martyrdom can corrupt its power and its profit. If we just want to, if, if we wanted to martyr and give our lives so that the whole world would know how faithful to God we were, then we really wouldn't be any different than extremist Muslims who fly airplanes into buildings who think that their reward will be in their next life. That they'll be um, given reward after reward because of their martyrdom. Paul says even, even that, the greatest human sacrifice that we can give, can be completely empty if it's not motivated by this agape love. 
that God gives us. Church, I just want to say to you, we as First Baptist Lindale do a lot. And we were in our staff meeting this week and we were talking and we were going over our calendars and we were looking at how, how full our, our church calendar and staff calendars are. We, we have a lot of stuff going on. And I'm grateful for that. I feel like we are probably one of the most active, most ministry-driven churches in this county. We do lots and lots and lots of things. And I want us to keep doing lots and lots of things. Okay? I want us to continue to do these things because I feel that all the things we do have purpose. We always want to do whatever we do with purpose. And there's great purpose behind all of the things that we do. But this morning should be all about reminding us that love has to be the thing that motivates us in everything that we do. And if we're not careful, we're all involved in different things, different parts of ministry in the church. And I've seen this happen before in other churches where some people would say, like we have lots of ministry, say our, our food pantry. We have folks who are, who are passionate and committed to our food pantry. And we have folks that, are, that give and serve in our clothes closet. We have people who serve in our children's ministry. We have people who serve in our music ministry. And because, because we're so invested in all of those things, it's very easy for us to begin to think that what we do matters more than what somebody else does. It doesn't really. And what Paul wants us to get this morning, what Jesus wants us to understand this morning is that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you preach from this pulpit or whether you sing the most beautiful songs of worship or whether you serve in the nursery every single week or whether you give hundreds of dollars to our food pantry or you serve and, and, and give empty your closet every month for our clothing closet. It doesn't matter. If love is not the thing that motivates you. And if love is not the thing that motivates you, if love is not the thing that motivates us as a church, if First Baptist Church of Lindale is not known for its love before it's known for any of the stuff that we do, then we are accomplishing nothing. I want us to be a church that when we say we love Lindale, people know that we love Lindale beyond the stuff we do because they feel it in the atmosphere that we bring to this community and they see it in the attitudes that we portray as we serve, as we give. And hopefully that attitude and that atmosphere will make them curious enough to come into this place. And when they come into this place, they experience that same attitude of love, that same atmosphere of love. And then people's lives are changed, and then God begins to do something incredibly more than we are ever able to do on our own. Nothing we do for Jesus will matter to anyone, including Jesus, unless love takes first place. It doesn't matter how many activities or how many ministries that we have. 
love matters more than all of them.